The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Thursday the 17th of August. I'm Adam Leventhal. Today... Manchester United tell senior staff that Mason Greenwood will return to the squad. You know, reading between the lines, it would look like, you know, they're attempting to sort of move eyes away from our story and onto their statement. How will England approach the challenge of Spain? What this has actually shown is that the England fly in the face of adversity. And there's reaction from Greece, where Manchester City win a fourth piece of silverware of 2023. When Sevilla went ahead, they were good value for their lead, really. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Adam Leventhal. Manchester United's Chief Executive Richard Arnold has told the club's executive leadership that Mason Greenwood will return to the first-team squad. Greenwood hasn't played for United since he was arrested in January 2022, following the release on social media of a video recording and images of an alleged sexual attack. Charges against Greenwood for attempted rape controlling and coercive behaviour and assault occasioning actual bodily harm, which he denied, were dropped in February of this year. Greenwood was suspended by the club on full pay. Now, Adam Crafton, who broke the story on The Athletic yesterday, joins us now. Adam, just explain how have we got to this point Yeah, so after the criminal investigation was dropped, Manchester United launched their own internal process, which they kind of described as a fact-finding mission, I suppose, an attempt to really understand what led to, you know, that distressing audio and video that emerged on social media and to understand the full story behind it and then make a judgment on their relationship with Mason Greenwood, who, who of course remains their employee. What we revealed on The Athletic yesterday on Wednesday was essentially that there was a meeting of the club's executive leadership team in the first week of August and the chief executive Richard Arnold told his executive leadership team that the United at that point were planning to bring back Mason Greenwood and as part of that plan for Greenwood's reintegration the the plans that had been drawn up at that point included an intention for Arnold as chief exec to record a video that would explain the decision that would be shared both internally with staff and also with the general public And the planned date for the announcement was Friday, August the 4th. Of course, that didn't happen. That wasn't announced in the end. And the reasons for that, which United still haven't actually explained, we think are largely linked to the fact that the United board and executive team wanted to communicate this decision with key stakeholders. That can be principal partners, so sponsors, fan advisory board, but also the club's women's team. Now, obviously, quite a few of the Manchester United women are still out of the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. This has been quite an interesting thing around the women's team, because I think there's been a perception that this intention to consult was in some ways a desire to delegate the decision. And I don't think that was ever the case. You know, the United were never going to ask their women's team, should we bring him back? Should we not bring him back? It was far more this is the decision that the club has come to. We're pre-briefing you on that. And here's an opportunity for feedback. I think that's one of the reasons why it didn't happen on August the 4th, as had been planned. Obviously, this is a very sensitive topic and it's not clearly defined what is going to happen next. But in terms of what needs to happen next, can you outline that? If Mason Greenwood is announced and returns, and I think if that was going to happen 
the natural slot for it at the moment would look like being the very end of August. And, you know, the plans that United drew up were, you know, you can't underestimate really how extensive this scenario planning was. Now, United did put out a statement on Wednesday afternoon. I'm going to be quite honest here and open with you and the, with the listeners. As part of our job as journalists, when we have stories like this, we approach football clubs and we offer them the opportunity to reply. And we gave a deadline to Manchester United which we in turn extended upon their request. And the normal practice is that you give a statement to the publication that has approached you with facts, and then that statement is published within the story. In this case, what Manchester United did was basically simultaneously put out a full club statement, send the statement to the entire media at the same time as sending us their response. And, you know, reading between the lines, it would look like, you know, they were attempting to sort of move eyes away from our story and onto their statement. So we then get on to what does their statement actually say? Well, it says things like Manchester United has conducted a thorough investigation into the allegations made against Greenwood. They also say that they feel they have responsibilities to Mason Greenwood as an employee, as a young person who's been with the club since the age of seven, and also as someone they describe as a new father with a partner. They then say the fact-finding phase is complete and they're in the final stages of making a uh, decision on Mason's future. Now, they say that a final decision hasn't been made. We know for sure, because the club did not dispute this to us, that when we say that Richard Arnold communicated what they con- what he considered to be a decision at the start of August, a decision had been made. Clearly, decisions are human and people can change their minds, Right. So let's see what happens in the next few weeks. But I would say certainly the plan as of the last few weeks has been that Mason Greenwood will return to being a Manchester United player. England have reached the final of the Women's World Cup for the first time after they beat hosts Australia 3-1 in Sydney. Ella Toon put the Lionesses one up before a fantastic equaliser from Chelsea's Sam Kerr for the Aussies. Lauren Hemp and Alessia Russo then sealed the win for Serena Wiegmann's side. The Athletics women's football editor and former Spurs goalkeeper Chloe Morgan joins us now. So England through to a World Cup final for the first time since 1966 and the men's win. Just put this achievement into context for us then. What does this mean for the country? I think it's significant. I think, um, you know, especially like I think coming into this tournament uh, off the back of the, uh, you know, the England Euros win last year, it wasn't the same vibe. I think a lot of people had their doubts about uh, the squad. We'd had the injuries, you know, Leah Williamson, Beth Mead, uh, and then we obviously suffered some injury with um, with Kira Walsh as well. That that sort of upset things. Then the Lauren James red card, and then we had, you know, a lot of the players being quite outspoken in the lead up to the competition, Mary up to the goalkeeper shirt, the, um, the Lionesses talking about the FA bonuses. So it felt like there was a lot of distraction a lot of additional factors that had to come into play this year that weren't present last year and I think um, what this has actually shown is that the England fly in the face of adversity that actually they take these factors and use them as motivation to go further and to create history and to use the platforms that they have. So the result means obviously that the co-hosts Australia are out. Just describe the way that they've got behind their team and and what it was like inside Stadium Australia. Massively, I think um, you know Tony Gustafsson in the uh, the match day minus one press conference summed it up beautifully. He basically said that you know every time the Matildas get on a flight, every time they're in an airport, every time they're in a stadium, when they're walking down the street, um, Mackenzie Arnold had had a, a, a street named after her, and she was like, I've never received this kind of level of attention before, and um, this is the first time that you know. A lot of these players, whilst women's football enthusiasts might know about them, is that they're now reached a different level of, um, you know, 
fame and the noise and the atmosphere around the stadium. I felt really disappointed for the fact because I think they thought that this was going to be their year and you know especially when you're hosting the tournament it means so much more but yeah the fans have been absolutely incredible. You know it shows in the fact that we sold over what 1.5 million tickets this year which is the most in any Women's World Cup so it's been an incredible tournament. So it's Spain waiting to face England in Sunday's final. Just give us a taste of who the players are that we should be looking out for on either side. Bon Matty, I mean, you can't not. She's an absolute talent. You know, you've got uh, Misa at the start of the competition, Catacol coming in. Yeah, I think you've just got all these players who are now in... It's such an exciting Spanish squad to watch. So I think, yeah, but for me, Bon Matty, is, I think she's been absolutely outstanding. And Jenny Hermoso as well. I mean, it's, it's hard to choose. And I think, yeah, Alex Greenwood is someone that's definitely stood out for me. Uh, I think she subtly stands out. I think she doesn't always get the recognition that she deserves, but I think her defensive actions, the way she's taken to that, that back three, how solid she is. Yeah, she's been really robust. And I think, um, yeah, she's definitely been sort of like my standout player. I think, yeah, give more credit to Alex Greenwood because everyone, everyone rates her. And I think this, this year we can really see um, her worth. And don't forget, there's much more build-up to the World Cup final on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. So Manchester City added another trophy to their 2023 haul last night with victory over Sevilla in the Super Cup final. That's the winners of the Champions League and Europa League going head-to-head. It was 1-1 after 90 minutes with Yusuf El Nasiri scoring Sevilla's goal after 25 minutes and the impressive Cole Palmer scoring the equaliser for Man City on 84 minutes. It went straight to penalties then and City scored all five of theirs but Nemanja Gudelj missed Sevilla's fifth. So after the treble, another pot for Pep. Mark Critchley in Greece for the final joins us. Your initial reaction then, Mark, to the win? Yeah, look, I think you can tell just how much that meant to Manchester City <laughs> with the celebrations at the end. Having lost the community shield in similar circumstances after a one-one draw with a penalty shoot out a few weeks ago, I think that just helps get a few, just, just those demons, if you like, out of the system that they started with. So five excellent penalties, faultless, you'd say, and not... I guess on the night of faultless performance from City, I thought slightly slow to start. Then when Sevilla went ahead, they were they were good value for their lead, really. Threatened on the counter-attack quite a number of times. The goal came from something that City really failed to deal with and cut out at source. So, yeah, look, um, not the greatest of performances to begin with. I thought they grew into the game as they came on. You saw Cole Palmer get the equaliser. He really took his chance tonight getting uh, in the team due to Bernardo Silva's illness. I think a little bit was written about City's and said and written about City's record with penalties after after the Community Shield. So, you know, they missed quite a few last season. Even Erling Haaland missed that one against Bayern Munich. Um, you never quite know what City's going to turn up in a penalty shootout, but then to go and win one, score all five, and to lift the trophy at the end of it, they'll be delighted, absolutely. And it was the first game since Kevin De Bruyne was ruled out until the new year with that serious hamstring injury. Obviously, they've coped with him on the opening day at Burnley. They've done it before in the past. How do you feel they dealt without him against Sevilla? The performance tonight, it was lacking that usual bit of creativity and spark that you associate with that Kevin De Bruyne brings. I think he's a player in this team who does something that nobody else really does. He's got the licence to play ambitiously. He's got the licence to take risks. And without him, you're looking for somebody else to step up and take that mantle who's also able to make those risks pay off. If you're looking for a direct replacement in the team tonight, it was probably Phil Foden um, starting in the middle. A lot of people have asked for that. Did he really grab his chance? Probably not tonight. But he's a very different type of player from De Bruyne. You know, he's more, he's better in tighter spaces. Um, you know, his, his movement around defenders 
De Bruyne is the guy to play a 50-yard pass. De Bruyne, uh, Foden's the guy to dribble through a couple of <laughs> a couple of defenders. So we're talking about very different types of players, and that's always a, I think it's always been a little bit lost in the idea that Foden has to play centrally. And he was there tonight, and it didn't quite work for him. Doesn't mean to say it can't in the future at all. I thought Mateo Kovacic actually was finding Haaland a bit more often, especially in the first half than Foden was. But you are looking for that creativity, and it it's tough because Guardiola just wants his team to play slow, controlled, possession football. De Bruyne was always that jack-in-the-box that could spring something and, and make something happen. Without him, City do love, lose a little bit of that creative edge uh, that we associate with them. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they solve that equation over the next few weeks, well, next few months, because that's what it's looking like for De, for De Bruyne to be out now. So it's a bit of a conundrum for City, but um, one that we're keeping an eye on. That's all for today. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Adam Leventhal. Your producer was Mike Zimmerman and executive producer Ian McIntosh. We appreciate you choosing to join us every weekday. If you get a chance to leave a review and spread the word, that would be great as well. Michael Bailey is going to be back with Friday's edition the same day. You can catch me on the Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview. Bye for now. The Athletic.